Dynasty Podcast presents Dynasty Panelcasts, a live panel discussion with industry experts and innovative creatives. Hosted by Haima Black. No RSVP required. All right. Man, that sounds good. Uh, we can get started. Thank you guys all for being here tonight. I appreciate it. I know that there's a lot going on in Chicago tonight. It's a really active night, and it's summer, and it's nice out, so hugely appreciate everybody being here. Uh, my name is Haima Black. I am the founder and host of Dynasty Podcast. We're the first ever and longest-running music podcast in the city of Chicago's history. But my panelists tonight are way more interesting than that. Uh, we are here tonight for an event called How to Break into Creative Tech. So we have some really interesting, really accomplished, really creative people on this panel with me. I'm going to let everybody go down and introduce themselves, um, starting to my right. Hi, my name is Raj Vora. Uh, I work for Google. I'm a principal in our strategic planning for basically infrastructure. I work on our data centers, where our data centers go, and the acquisitions and partnerships uh, associated with them across the Western Hemisphere. Hi, everyone. I am Erin Finley. I also work at Google, and I'm an HR business partner. And what that means is I essentially am a strategic thought partner for business leadership uh, on how we can keep Googlers happy, make sure they're working effectively, efficiently, making sure that we're hiring the right people and keeping the right people. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Ted, and I work at Twitter. Um, and at Twitter, I am responsible for working with the group that partners content creators or influencers, as the industry uh, commonly calls them, with Twitter's portfolio of brand and advertising partners. So we have a network of over 47,000 content creators across all social media platforms. Um, and we help find them branded campaigns um, across, across all social media uh, platforms. Hey everyone, whoa, I think I have the loudest mic. My name is Hassan Ali, and my day job is creative marketing director at The Onion, uh, but on the side, under my own sort of little studio Hassanisms, uh, I am just a tinkerer of all things, all media, all mediums. So uh, I am uh, consider myself a creative technologist. I try to blend technology brands and comedy and entertainment into one nice big smoothie and uh, live at that kind of intersection. All right. Building off that, the great introduction all of you gave, like how did each of you get your start in what we're going to generally refer to as tech? Um, you know, but I know that that really covers a very broad arena, but like I guess how did each of you get your start in like creative industry work? And, and anybody can start in any order. All right, we can go left to right again. <laughs> So my background, I ended up here in a really roundabout sort of way. I, uh, I wouldn't say I have much of a creative background. Actually, I graduated with a degree in biology in the mid-90s. Uh, ended up doing some small business consulting work. Uh, then ended up with a small startup in the late 90s. Dot-com crash happened uh, when it hit in grad school for a few years. Came out of grad school, got into consulting for years, and then eventually uh, Google just came knocking because I started really focusing on uh, what's what's really this infrastructure planning, infrastructure strategy, and it was just kind of a niche role that that I never set out on doing, but just kind of landed in my lap as I worked through consulting over the years. I would love to piggyback off of that. Apparently, we were 
both found, and I hope at some point we get a chance to talk about what it takes to perhaps be found in the market. Um, but my journey, I did psychology in undergrad, and like a lot of psychology grads, I was like, now what? And through a series of kind of building my brand and taking night classes of grad school um, where I studied industrial organizational psychology, um, I essentially found some day hustles of unpaid gigs so I could get some experience. And uh, that way I was marketable to Deloitte Consulting where I started in human capital consulting. And then uh, Google found me once I was there. So I uh, attended DePaul University here in Chicago, studied marketing, um, and after graduating was fortunate enough to have uh, a family member who worked at an up-and-coming startup in LA. So I moved out there from Chicago um, and worked in a, the same field that I do now, working with influencers, doing influencer marketing um, at a company called Fullscreen, which at the time was part of what was known as a multi-channel network industry, um, has sort of evolved since then. Um, but it was a, a fantastic opportunity. I actually got in. The, the founder of that company was an, an ex-YouTube, an ex-Google guy um, who was partially responsible for helping develop um, the YouTube monetization program, which sort of helped to explode this whole area of influencer marketing. And so I was fortunate enough to get in there at an early stage um, and just sort of see this whole industry sort of start to grow. Um, and then eventually came back to Chicago, worked at an agency, um, didn't, wasn't really right, the right fit for me, eventually landed at Twitter where, I, where I'm at now working on this unit that does influencer marketing specifically. Yeah, and I have a I have a somewhat similar uh, history to get to, to, to get to where I'm at. But what I think is interesting is that I'll, I don't know if anyone specifically got like a PhD in tech or something like that or an MFA, which is what uh, seems to be a trend here. And I I did economics in college. I have never taken a coding class in my life, but through online tutorials and like YouTube tutorials and uh, meetups somewhat similar to this, finding collaborators, I found that that's a really interesting way to do whatever objective you happen to have in mind. So like right now, I was just reading something about how there's this like bots, right? Like chatbots, smart mach machine learning, uh, like literally like droid type things. They need writers. They need writers to write human interesting things for these bots to say. Like you, they, the uh, programmers aren't coming up with engaging conversation. So what's really interesting, what's really interesting is that I think a lot of people get discouraged where it's like, well, I have an English degree. How can I get into tech? those like swim lanes don't necessarily exist anymore. And I'll tell you the way I got into it was I heard about chatbots. I thought those, hey, that's cool. I followed a tutorial of how to create a chatbot with no programming skills whatsoever and then made a chatbot. So like if you don't have to stay in this particular lane, which is I think a really, Drake says, what a time to be alive. We live in an awesome time to be alive, I think. I think like building off that, I would just say like with how fast so much of creative tech is moving, you almost can't study something that you're then going to get out of school and go do because with how, whether it's platforms like Google or Twitter, whether it's, you know, the, 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 the 
places that are coming up with this content, everything's just moving so fast that you almost have to be ready to get out and just sort of adapt to like, okay, what's gonna be the thing five years from now that I wanna become an expert in today um, so that I can spend the, you know, the rest of my life doing something that I, that I care about. So, okay, everybody here brought up so much of what I wanna talk about in this, in this session, so that's awesome. We planted a lot of great seeds. Um, we're gonna start with some of like still the, the kind of broad overview of this before we like really break it down. So how do each of you define creative tech and or what does it mean to be a digital creator right now? Like how can someone define themselves like that? I guess I can kick it off. Like I work with a lot of digital creators so I might have like a, a more narrow definition I guess. But I think of it as sort of the, the marriage between content producers um, and the various platforms that exist for you to sort of like distribute, monetize, market, analyze all the sort of gifts that a networked economy can sort of give to an artist or a content creator that maybe didn't exist, you know, even 10 years ago. I mean, they, they maybe did in some shape or form blogs and they're, you know, since the internet's been around, we've been able to have some of those tools of sort of a networked economy. But I think nowadays it's just on such an insane level um, in terms of mobile and, and the amount of like data that you're able to gather to sort of inform what it means to then bring the creative side and be a content producer or an artist in some capacity utilizing those sort of platform tools that exist. I, I will echo on that where the keyword being tools. You said a tool. The idea is like everyone is creative. I, I know people who are like my brother, he's like, I, he's a consultant and he's like, I'm not creative. And I'm like, yes, everyone I think is creative. The tech part is I think the hardest part where people are like, oh, I have to learn how to do JavaScript and Python and coding and stuff like that. Simple example is um, one of my friends who is uh, like a woman in tech, which is a very, it's a big minority <laughs> to be a woman in tech. Um, she was like, I'm sick of being like, people asking me to find other female panelists to be on panelists just to fill the diversity quota. So she created literally a Google spreadsheet of awesome like women in tech that if you want to like fill your panel up with cool women in tech, just come to this spreadsheet, Google this Google spreadsheet. Did that require coding? No. Is it creative tech? I would consider it creative tech because it's an actual tool that offers some kind of utility to people. And it solves a problem. It solves a problem. There are people doing all, the problem can be something as, uh, that's a pretty big problem, but a problem can, can like there's a, there's a website called Is There a Cubs Game Today? I don't know, have you, have you guys seen that? For people who ride the red line, it, you could find it very, very relevant. And it's like, is there a Cubs Game Today.com or something? That is creative tech because it like tells you, do I need to not take the red line today? So when it's solving a, when it's solving an actual problem with, some piece of technology, whether it's as whether it's as, ex, as elaborate as an app or whether it's as simple as like a website or a spreadsheet or something like that. I'm glad you spoke before me because I was about to say I'm not really that creative on the creative tech side, <laughs> uh, being that I'm more on the business strategy side. But but no, I think it's a great point, and and I think what it actually also leads to is the idea that even tech is very broadly defined in Chicago, is a, you know, I, I imagine we'll get to start talking about the just tech scene in Chicago itself. Um, it's not like the tech scene in the Bay Area or the tech scene in New York because you know, what, what's, def, what's being defined as tech in Chicago is 
uh, even broader, uh, you know, solutions for, for uh, healthcare and solutions for warehousing logistics and, and much more, uh, you know, kind of industrial problems uh, and, and legacy industrial issues that, that Chicago has historically been really dominant at uh, are now transitioning into to, to, to tech companies and, and tech solutions. So uh, I think just the tech industry as a whole in Chicago itself takes on a whole new meaning. And literally that is going to be the next question, but I don't want to cut people off before we get there. That's, that's fine. I, I don't even want to dilute the great answers that were given. Um, the only thing I'd add is that I think the concept, uh, and this is kind of me putting my HR hat on, the concept of creative tech is very, very novel. And unlike some other spaces that have been well explored in the tech space, you, um, you can really make what you will of it. And uh, it's, it's just some untapped potential there in terms of breaking into perhaps one of the, the big leagues or even small leagues, you can really kind of make your own path. Yeah. Um, and again, everything we're talking about, I mean, we are going to like break down so much. I love it. So like, like you just brought up, Chicago. I mean, Chicago now is being talked about as a tech city, and that's something relatively new. That's a couple of years old. It's not like in the 80s and 90s people are like, oh, yeah, like that's the tech scene is Chicago. That's relatively novel here. How do each of you view being in, again, broad sense, the tech or digital side of things in Chicago? And, and how do you view the city for people who are looking in to break into those fields? Like, is this the right place to be right now? So I'll just kind of pick back up from a, a couple things. Um, Chicago, we're still like a relatively nascent tech scene. I, we, we've gone through a couple of iterations. And there's the, we're a self-declared tech city, and then there's the reality of like where people are hiring tech jobs. And I say this because if you go back to the, the mid-90s, uh, when I was, you know, when I was in, kind of involved in the startup scene a little bit, and there was a couple, there was a boom and there was a push for, for tech in Chicago. And uh, there used to be an entrepreneur here by the name of uh, Flip Filipowski, if ever, anybody remembers that name. And, you know, he was supposed to be the next savior of tech in Chicago, and he had a startup, and he had all these incubators, and it all just came crashing down in like 2000, 2001, and Chicago tech kind of went quiet. And then he started to wonder if it ever really existed. And, and, and now it's in the last five, six years, I think it's really started to pick back up again. Um, and, and it's picked up because of the, I think a lot of the, the buzz around what, you know, Google and and Uber and Twitter and others, you know, building a bigger presence here. But what's more interesting is some of the companies uh, that are starting to get funded here. And it's, it's still nowhere near the Bay Area and it's still nowhere near uh, the coasts. And uh, I still think, you know, ultimately there's a lot of push and pull for talent out of Chicago into those markets. Um, so, you know, I think that the, in order for us to really continue to build, it's going to have to be at the, the, the grassroots entrepreneurship level, which we're, we're I think we're still just on the, the bottom of the hockey curve. Yeah, I have to pretty much agree with everything there. Um, I found it interesting in my story and in Ted's story, we both left Chicago to start in tech, and I actually started at Google in the Bay Area, and there's, if you're putting, you know, trying to compare apples to apples, the Bay Area, of course, is and, and Cali and in general, is just probably obviously miles ahead um, so if you're 
just looking for a way to get started in any way, I would absolutely recommend staying open-minded in terms of locations. That said, Chicago is working. Chicago is grinding and it's on its way and it is up and coming. I loved the concept of going grassroots and being scrappy and defining it for yourself because there aren't really that many rules here. Whereas when you go to the Bay Area, it is very structured in what being in tech can look like. Um, what a VC is looking for is very specific. And whereas here, there just is, again, a lot of untapped potential. Yep, I think what Aaron just said too about staying open-minded about location is absolutely true, especially some of you guys look like you're young, you're in college, you know, that's a great time to take risks and sort of all those cliche sort of things of, you know, it's, it's time to get out and go do that stuff while you can before you have the mortgage and the family and all that sort of stuff. Um, that being said, I've found since returning to Chicago, it is a small city and the, the tech scene is very small. Um, you know, whether you're doing advertising, marketing, you know, whether you're doing more technical side of stuff, it, the communities are all very small, which is actually, I think, a huge benefit. You, you get to know people. It's a little bit easier to, you know, make a name or, or sort of make moves in within the scene as well, whereas the Bay Area is so vast, so competitive. Here, it's a little bit smaller of a pond, and I think that's something that can be super beneficial, especially to young folks, because you have that opportunity to have a little bit more mobility in the community, um, and there's not, it's, it's not much like, you know, being at a startup versus being in a large corporation, there's not as much of a ladder there, or like as much, as many gatekeepers there, so you can get in and sort of start doing stuff, you know, even at a very young age, um, and sort of pay your dues that much faster, and Chicago does have a lot to offer, you know, a lot of the big platforms are here, there's amazing agencies, Google just built a huge new beautiful office, so everything that you could want from the Bay Area is here, it's just on a slightly smaller scale. Yeah, and with that, because there are a lot of big companies coming here, I mean, I look at, there's a, there's a, there, tech is a, a big component here. One of my favorite apps is called Spot Hero, and they're, like, in Chicago for, like, from the ground up, they were, they were built here in Chicago, and, but overall, like, I, I would recommend people hone in on, like, one specific thing within the large sphere of tech that they're really interested in solving, whether it's like, whether it's UX or whether it's, um, whether it's like uh, accessibility for people with, for, for improving accessibility for, um, for users or something like that, or it's just focusing on something really, really specific. That way then you can kind of find your niche within the scene, whether it's here in Chicago or, or elsewhere. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Hassan on that one. I think like being an expert in something is definitely the route I would advise taking because everybody's a generalist nowadays, you know, like everybody can go on YouTube and watch tutorials and start to learn about anything that they want to. Um, so finding a lane that you want to sort of get into and something that's hopefully like on an upward trajectory on an industry-wide level, um, is something that's gonna pay off for you down the road rather than trying to sort of like do a little bit of everything. Well, and building off that, uh, you know, that specific idea, Ted, of like making yourself really specific in at least one, one area, what are some skill sets that young creatives, young creators, entrepreneurs, that they should have? Like, you know, I see a lot of ads where it's like, you need to know this level of coding or, you know, they're looking for somebody who can produce video. So with all of you being from such esteemed companies, like. What, what do companies like a Twitter or Google or The Onion look for when they're bringing people on? 
There are so many different ways to go with that question. <laughs> this is a two-hour answer. Oh, wow. Um, so I'll go like high level in terms of hiring, and of course I'll speak very specific to Google, and that the primary thing we're looking for is general cognitive ability. So are you smart? If we throw you into something super ambiguous, can you figure it out without completely losing it? Then comes this concept of role-related knowledge, so to this concept of becoming an expert in something. Um, in terms of being earlier in your career, Again, this concept of being scrappy, um, and I'll speak to my own experience. When I started, I knew coming out of school after I applied for hundreds of jobs at the tail end of the recession, and no one cared about my degree. They were like, ha, huh, great for you. And so I was like, now what? I said, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna fake it. So I created my own website, I blogged about things that were happening in the HR sphere. Mind you, I'm 21, I don't know, right? Like I, don't, I haven't been in businesses and actually formally consulted, but I'm gonna find an article on the millennial generation and give my take on how I'm tired of people putting down the, gen the millennial generation because we're here and we can't be stopped. So, but that's an opinion, right? So all of a sudden, I'm putting my voice into the market. I'm showing, hey, look, I know about this. I read about it. I blog about it. I tweet about it. I, I in this day and age, I would have made YouTube videos about it. And then I would have at least shown, like, I have a, a stance and an opinion on something. Do I know everything about it? Absolutely not. Could I study and read more? Sure. But at least I have a perspective. And so if you throw me into some type of job-related situation, I can already walk in and say, you know what? I recently read about intrinsic and extrinsic motivations, and I think that might apply in this situation. Now, do I have a PhD in that? No, but I have an opinion. And so I think that's one way that can be exercised. Yeah, I think what Aaron's sort of touching on too is what I was going to say. I think there's two things, and at, at the risk of sounding like a little wish-washy about this answer, when I'm talking to potential candidates or, or just talking to people in general, I think it's curiosity and grit are the two things that I'm looking for, which may not be hard skills necessarily, but curiosity, are you somebody who's constantly wanting to learn, constantly wanting to do better, using all of the tools available now at your disposal to sort of like stay on the bleeding edge of something and become that expert in it? Um, and like taking that a step further, like if I'm, if I'm interviewing somebody, you know, what are you gonna bring to my team that you're super passionate about, super curious about that maybe I don't know that much about, it's not, hey, did you do your research for this interview and can you like spew off some top creators or you know, like spew out some marketing jargon of the day? It's like, what are you like at your core passionate about that is gonna make this team stronger as a whole because of your curiosity and your passion towards that? And then for grit, you know, it's just are you somebody who can stick with it when shit gets tough? Can you like, do you have that tenacity? You're not gonna just, you know, give up or not gonna be, you know, the stereotypical millennial, which I don't think most millennials are like this, that expects a promotion after six months or whatever. Are you, are you somebody that's here to, to do the work, you know, and get in the weeds on stuff? Um, because if you're not, you know, you're, you're probably not gonna fit into the team dynamic of everybody's willing to step up and do what they need to do when you know when when things get tough and it's not about what your job title is or you know like what your job description is etc um, are you somebody that's just going to come get shit done two words passion projects side projects four words that's four words passion projects side projects it's been a long week uh 
that is, for me personally, that has been my, like, jet fuel to get ahead in my own personal career. Um, everyone is super talented. I totally agree with every, what everyone else is saying. You have to have the grit and the fundamentals and the passion to take on projects that, you know, that will make your boss's life easier and whatnot. But when you're looking at a stack of resumes, like when you have, when you set up your own site and a blog to stand out from the rest of the applicant pool, that's huge. That's something that is separating you from just another resume. And if you create like an awesome, like one of my friends has a really silly, silly Instagram side account where it's like silly doodles, like drawings of puns that she makes. So it's like, like, uh, like various puns, but illustrated, you know? So whatever, you're, if you have a fun side project that happens to line up with kind of what you're, you're um, trying to do in your career, that is exactly something you should pursue. If you're, if you're an illustrator, this isn't quite tech, but if you're an illustrator and you want a job at like a design firm, do gig posters for bands. Like side projects like that have gotten me personally promoted, gotten me jobs, gotten everything that, gotten me here, honestly. I teach at Columbia College and I tell students all the time, I'm like, basically, your whole online presence is essentially your resume at this point. Like your Twitter, your Instagram, your, you know, whatever it is, like maybe a Tumblr, I don't know if Tumblr's still a thing at this point, but like, you know, that's what people are seeing. It's not just that sheet that you send to Twitter or Google or The Onion, it's like, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but like you guys probably go check people's social pretty soon if they're in contention, right? Or if they're a contender. Yes, the HR in the room. Yes, yes, we do check. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I actually just read an article the other day about uh, stats that were going through um, what have turned companies off to people. And it's usually the intuitive stuff, right? Like it's a picture, it's profanity in your statuses or it's this persona that you've placed um, that there's also the positive side why they've specifically hired because of an online presence but yes that's very important to do a, a, a quarterly googling of self to personally and it's like on a new filter that has no cookies and cachet and all that stuff go to the library and then google yourself where no passwords are in and see what the public can see for you <laughs> Very important. Smart. Maybe <laughs> terrifying for people. Um, I'm going to have to hit you up, Aaron, when I, I need to do a deep dive on my, my data. See how I'm, I hold up. Um, no, I would take it a step further, too, and say, like, social media is also, like, whether it's a side project, like, that's how you get your job now. Like, the job that I have now is because I met the people who ran the company that got acquired by Twitter on Twitter, you know? And so, like, it's sort of cliche, but, like, being out there and communicating with these people through those channels and just sort of like showing them like, hey, I'm somebody who has this fun side project who can talk credibly about X, Y, and Z, like area of expertise, that's gonna stand out, that's gonna push you to the top of their mind, you know, which will help get your resume pushed to the top of the pile too, you know, if it, there's some other connection in that hiring manager or that CEO's mind of this is somebody who I connected with, who's already shown me that there's somebody who's competent and passionate and whatever, you know, and they sort of have the resume to match as well. But having that sort of like context there through whatever tool it is can go a long way as well. So 
you know, we've talked about a lot of what, you know, potential creators, entrepreneurs, applicants should be doing. I think something that can be challenging, at least I see a lot with students, is that they think like, well, it's easy for these people to say like they work for Google, you know, or like, oh, well, I could do that if I was rich or something like that. But like a lot of these obstacles don't necessarily exist the way that they used to. So what are some ways that creators and, and early aspiring entrepreneurs and makers can get started on their journey even before they get to Google, before they get to Twitter, before somebody gives them funding? There's, so I'm on a site called medium.com a lot, right? And it's a, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but it's a publishing platform that um, you can, it's like a, a blog publishing platform, Netflix for writing, if you want to call it that. You can, a lot of people publish on there. And I've seen people write, like, if I worked at Lyft, here is how I would make this one feature better. They're not a coder. They're not they don't work at Lyft, they don't do, they are not necessarily in the position to actually do this thing at Lyft, but they write like, hey, I am, let's say, uh, I have a disability, and there is not really that much, uh, it's hard to find cars that cater to people like me who have a disability. Here's how I would improve that if I worked at Lyft. An article, this article doesn't exist, but they, I've seen similar people do do this and that article will get like picked up will find its way to lift and they will get like a job it happens i've seen it happen so many times i'm sure even at twitter or google someone will say like uh, uh someone will write something of like how i would hypothetically solve this problem they'll get attention from the company that they're writing to so i don't think you necessarily have to go through years of coding school if to to, to get your foot in the door to get to the Google, to get to the Twitter. But there are ways to like still get your voice out there. Medium is, an, is a good example of like how can you actually uh, communicate what you are interested in without necessarily having to sit and learn how to code. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 100% correct. There's a million articles out there about like here's what's broken about Twitter and like anytime we change anything, people like start freaking out and everybody wants to be a product manager at Twitter. But it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's good to see that people care that much about the product. You know, that's the way that we sort of look at it internally is people are really passionate about this thing. So when you make avatars circle, people are going to freak out, you know, and ask you where the tweet edit button is. And um, <laughs> But it's true. I mean, I think what Hassan's saying is, like, just start solving problems, whether you're doing that to get paid for it or not. Um, I've had candidates come to me and say, here's my application, and also here's, you know, a huge project I put together of five different brand strategy ideas of how I would leverage the platform to do X, Y, and Z. That is just going to put you head and shoulders above people. Again, it's showing like, okay, this is somebody who's thinking about this on a much deeper level and like is actually actually cares and would bring an element to the team that you know nine out of ten other candidates probably wouldn't bring to the table. I think the other thing I'd add to that is um, there's there's a fine balance of you know making sure you're doing stuff that you really enjoy and, and grinding it out a little bit. I mean, so it's there is. A, I come like right off of that, you know, Gen X time when, and you know, there's not, now the whole talk about the millennials and instant gratification. And I, I don't, I don't, I think there's so much that gets overhyped. It's, it's not that people look for instant gratification. It's just that there's, you just gotta realize that there's, you gotta just kind of go through the motions. Sometimes it's, it's not gonna fall in your lap. Sometimes you just gotta kind of take 
the shitty job for a little while. But if you really like keep doing things that you enjoy doing and you really work hard at it and you don't just kind of go through the motions, it opens up doors and doors and doors. Um, I'll go back when I, early in my career, when I kind of first started, I was doing some small business consulting. It didn't always go that well. And my, my first, you know, the first startup I was with, I mean, we did okay. And then when like, so the dot-com boom happened and we, things crashed, um, you know, figured out a way to, to get into grad school. Even then, the first job I got out of grad school, the company crashed. <laughs> uh, and that was like the financial crisis. So I remember when we just had our first kid and I, I was talking to my wife and like, I, this is this is not going how I expected it to go, right? Like, company crashes, go to go to grad school, company crashes. What the hell are we going to do for money? Uh, how are we going to do this? Um, but you know, I kept networking and I kept. I just took what came what came in front of me. I'm like, I'll do that job. I'll do it, and I'll just work my ass off at it. And it eventually led to open others, other doors that opened up. And ironically enough, I remember. Uh, in the, the late 2000s, I saw this opening for a job at Google. Well, Google was still, you know, not what it was now, but it was still getting pretty big. And it was almost the same job description as what I ended up getting eight years later, but I was just shot down, you know, out of hand. Like, I submitted my resume, and within 24 hours, like, you're not qualified for this. But seven years later, you know, they came knocking at my door uh, for the same role. Uh, so, and again, I wasn't even looking for it then seven years later. So again, just kind of grinding it out and, and, and good things will happen. Well, and I feel like we've circled this topic across the whole discussion, but like you don't have to necessarily land at Twitter or Google or The Onion or Amazon or any of these to be a tech creator. Like there's tons of great entrepreneurial opportunities right now. What are some skills or opportunities or just ways that people can like, and again, I th we've covered this here and there, but like what are some best strategies for creators looking to maybe build their own company, build their own brand, build their own operation or app? Um, if I can start, I would go back to the basics of networking, pretty much networking 101. Um, to your earlier question, yes, it is a different world out there. There is a lot more noise. There are a lot of people with millions of followers on YouTube, so I totally get that it is a different beast out there than it was when I was first starting to blog, and so for that, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I think when you're looking around in this room, like these could be the people who are using your products in the future and supporting you because they understand exactly the hustle that you're going through and they're gonna be there even if it's a like, even if it's a plus one on anyone who's using Google Plus still. <laughs> Whatever it may be, this is your cohort, these are your people. So make sure that you're leaning on each other and supporting each other. And again, it could literally be just as much as a you know, retweet or yes, I'll follow you. And that's how it starts. And again, it's that concept of being scrappy and starting from there and turning that network into something. The only way I actually escaped my like hustle of blogging and working by day, school by night is because I networked and I had someone at Deloitte who referred me and her seal of approval was I, my saving grace, to be perfectly honest. I think I would have been a great candidate regardless, but because I had literally met with her for months before I even had an ask to apply, just because I wanted her guidance and I wanted to learn about what she did and I wanted to come from a place of like a mutual relationship as opposed to like, I need something from you. When I was ready to ask, she was 
more than willing to give because she has seen my hustle. So make sure that you're, you don't leave this room without getting some Twitter handles or some Facebook names or some cards or something so that when you're ready, you can lean on each other. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things I would, I would add to that as well. Like, essentially, if you're somebody who creates content online now you're, you're a brand, you're a media company. Um, all the tools are out there for you to, you know, th these YouTube content creators, they aren't in of themselves little media companies. They publish content, they advertise it through, you know, through, or they monetize it through advertising. They can spin off and do live shows. They can do merchandising. They can do all the sort of things that like a traditional media brand would do. And they can do all that from their bedroom, right? But that all has to start with, what kind of Aaron was saying, networking, or I would frame it another way too, community, you know, like all of these YouTube creators or these influencers or whoever all started with 100 followers somewhere, right? And so not getting discouraged to get past that first milestone of how do I build my first 10 fans, right? And then how do I build that first 100 from there? And how do I get 10 of those people to show up at my event or pay for my content online or whatever it is that you're trying to do and build, whatever business you're trying to build out of it, that community is so core to sort of the digital networked world that we live in now is like you can be a sustainable little media brand or publisher or creator or whatever if you have a thousand devoted, you know, followers who will shell out 20 bucks a month to get some exclusive content or whatever it might be. So it takes time to get over that first hump in my experience working with a lot of these guys. Once you get past a thousand subscribers, you know, things can start to take off. By that point, you'll sort of refine your voice, what you're trying to do, but you gotta sort of get past that first hump and that's always gonna be the hardest thing to do. All right, we're gonna do one more question and then we will open it up to, create, uh, to the audience here, creators, yeah, but, but to audience Q&A. So I, this is a very obvious statement. Tech is always evolving and always adapting, and it's like, you know, like I, I use Google Hangouts sometimes for live streaming, and I swear every time I log into Google Hangouts, I'm like, wait, what happened? So like, obviously, tech is always adapting and evolving. How can creators, entrepreneurs, makers, how can they stay adaptive when all of a sudden it might be like, oh wait, never mind, like Vine doesn't exist anymore. What are some skill sets they have that they can develop? Yeah, uh, regardless of platform. I had 15 million Vine views and you took it away. You took it away. Trust me, I, I miss Vine every day. I was laying in bed thinking about it the other day. I'm like, damn, I just miss Vine. I miss it. That was like the only thing I would go to cocktail parties and say, I have 15 million. <laughs> um, no, I think that if the if the idea is solid, it can live any number of ways. I mean, if you're like VR, for instance, is is going through a little bit of a situation right now because it's like it's interesting enough, but it's not like accessible enough. Where it's where it's like everyone is now doing VR. It's just like the QR code from a couple of years ago. It was like ideally in practice it seemed like a good piece of tech but for some reason it didn't kind of take off um so i think it's it's good to hedge your bets and not necessarily go like all in on let's say like you know if it's vr or something and you're like okay i'm gonna do vr and that's my only thing while it's tempting to do that it's like an uncharted unproven thing um so i think it's a matter of saying like maybe it's not vr but maybe it's nonlinear storytelling is the bigger thing, 
and VR just happens to be one, uh, if you're a filmmaker, let's say, VR happens to be one way of doing that nonlinear storytelling. If VR goes away, you can still make movies that are cool, um, but maybe they just maybe they just have they live in a different kind of format or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's exactly a hundred percent it. Like I just think it's so fascinating how like, you know, the the foundational tools I feel like stay the same. Like you're storytelling, you're being consistent, you're being engaging, etc. But you know, from year to year, that might mean YouTube or Facebook Live or you know, yeah, VR or like some platform in a connected car in seven years. So it's like. Yeah, the, the platform is going to just keep changing. But yeah, I feel like there's definitely those bedrocks you need no matter where it is. Yeah, and I'd add, you have to consistently be sharpening other skills um, because, I mean, there are folks out there that only studied film and then cameras came around, or excuse me, phones came around, and the next thing you know, who's printing out photos? But there was an entire business or technology built around that one thing. So you have to consistently be looking at the trends and seeing if there's other things you need to know going on to Udacity or something to learn. Um, and I think it really kind of comes down, if you're really one of those kind of, I, I'm a niche kind of person, you just have to really determine if you're risk tolerant or if you're risk adverse. If you're risk tolerant and that means you're willing to, you know, roll the die, go for it. Just become that, that SME or subject matter expert in VR and own it and know everything about it and find such a, a, an amazing niche of knowledge that you are completely and totally an asset to anyone that could possibly afford you. Or if you're perhaps a little bit more risk adverse, which actually I am myself, um, maybe it is perhaps starting at more of a generalist, learning a broader skill set until you have had enough experiences that you do narrow it down to a very specific niche that you're very comfortable with over, you know, 20x years in the future, you, you can tell that that's going to be your path. Yeah, just get comfortable being uncomfortable, I would say, too, because um, things are changing very fast. And to Aaron's point, like, a lot of times you need to figure out what you don't like in order to figure out what you do like. At least that's been my experience. I'm not somebody who woke up and was like, I know that making movies are what I want to do every single day of my life, you know, but doing enough things to figure out, okay, I definitely don't want to do that shit anymore. I'm going to try this now. Um, eventually, you'll, you'll get to where you're supposed to be. Uh, this has been awesome, and we're going to open it up to questions in just a moment, but I want to give it up here. Um, Raj Vora, Aaron Finley, Ted Adi, and Hassan S. Ali. Let's give it up for them. This has been incredible. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, Dynasty Descend.